0: Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. This can be found on page 1158 in your pew Bible. Chapters 4, verses 7 to 16. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. What does, he, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave the, some of the apostles some to the prophets, some to the evangelists, and some to the pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up to him, who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The word of the Lord.
1: Join me in prayer, would you? Again, God, we turn to this letter written to a church in another part of the world from another century, from a long time ago, and yet we believe and trust there is life-giving words for us here. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words and would work them deep into our hearts, addressing our lives, our context today. Thank you that you do this good work. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the more pervasive myths, operative, in our world, maybe among us at some level, is that God is a taker. There is... This reality, this this understanding of God where we believe that if we involve our lives with God, we're going to lose out in the deal. We're going to get far less out of it than we put in. And at root is this this thought, this myth that God is a taker, that God is going to wrap my life up with all sorts of rules and regulations, and he's just going to take from me freedom. He's going to take from me my joy. He's going to make me do things I really don't want to do. And God's going to take my money. God's a taker. But you can't assert that. You can't hold to that if you read closely Scripture. Because the story of Scripture is one long story of God pouring out gifts, giving gifts to us. At the heart of the universe is this triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the dynamic of that God, our God, is self-giving love. And we see that throughout the biblical story. Creation is the gift of God of a place for us to worship him, a place for us to flourish and come alive And because we messed up and trashed that world, God sent Jesus. He gave Jesus, who gave his life for us, so that we might once again know life. And then Jesus gives the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit pours out gifts upon the church. It is just this constant giving of God, because God at heart is a giver, in the book of Ephesians, it, it pretty much expands that big, beautiful reality. The whole book is, is looking at what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And we're looking in chapter 4 at some of the specifics of how that takes place. These, this manifestation of God's grace in spiritual gifts. We have been focusing for the past number of weeks, not last week, but two weeks prior and this week, on spiritual gifts. And and the church has been gifted by Jesus Christ. Three different times in this brief passage, we read how Christ has given. Verse 7, verse 8, verse 11, Jesus has given gifts, a variety of gifts to bring about this creative diversity within the one unity that Jesus has attained. A whole lot of giving is going on in the church This is what Jesus is doing among us. He has given us grace so that we might function, so that we might participate, so that we might contribute to the very thing that God is doing in this world, which is pouring out his life, giving. And so Paul asserts at the very front end, verse 7, grace is given to each one, each one. When Jesus poured out his spirit upon the church, the exalted, the victorious Jesus pours out his very life for his people and Every follower of Jesus Christ is gifted. Yesterday we had a a picture of how that works. Some of you, many of you were were at our formation day yesterday, and we enjoyed a really fine day of of worship, of teaching, of fellowship together. And if you missed it, I'm really sad for you because it was a fine day together. You missed something good. But for us to have tasted the goodness of that day... A whole supporting cast was needed. A whole supporting cast of gifts, operative, were needed. We needed people who would lead out, people who planned, people who organized. Then there were some who communicated, some who set up, some who welcomed. There were some who led in worship. Others prayed for the day. Some arranged for lunch. Others cleaned up for lunch. Others cleaned up after the day. All so that we could be edified and built up. That's how the church functions. That's how all these gifts are meant to operate. When God calls us to move into the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, God surrounds us with a supporting cast. He doesn't say, go off, do it alone. Not at all. He surrounds us with others who are gifted to make it all work. And we read about some of those gifts in verse 11. They're support gifts that Jesus provides. In verse 11 we read, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now Paul's not thinking of formal offices here. He's not mapping out a church polity here. He's talking more about the manifestations, the way the Spirit pops up and, and, uh, and, and emerges within a fully functioning church. When the Spirit is present and known, there's this beautiful diversity of, of manifestations that serve and support the entire body. And so one of the support gifts, we read, that Christ gave was the gift of the apostles. Now, the Greek word for, for apostle is one who gets sent, and it, it can often refer to someone who, who begins or pioneers a new work. Um, But the primary way that Paul and and, and Scripture refers to to that word is someone who has had the privilege of a a one-to-one, face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And a person who then is authorized by Jesus to speak the foundational truths of the gospel, of the Christian faith. And and we have that in our New Testament, which, which constitute Jesus' authoritative word to the church, to the world. And then God gave some to be prophets. Prophets are those who speak these, these timely words from God, words of encouragement, words of challenge, words of rebuke, of direction. And like the Old Testament prophets, they were, they're taken into the counsel of God and they're, they're commanded to speak. I mean, some prophets were at work in the church. We read about Agabus and the daughters of Philip. While the apostles lay a theological foundation for the church, the prophets would then offer timely words in specific circumstances um, for the emerging church. And and the whole church is built, what Paul says in Ephesians 2.20, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That is what we have in the words of, of the Old and the New Testament in the scriptures. But there is a prophetic gifting that continues to function in the church. The book of Acts shows that, 1 uh, Corinthians 12 and 14 shows that as well, how prophets, people who are equipped, who are particularly attuned to God and his truth for today, speak that, bringing about correction and challenge. They, they insist that the community of God follow how God has uh, led us. They challenge the status quo. They're sort of the provocateurs of the church. And next, God gifts the church with evangelists, people who have a special gift to communicate the the good news of Jesus Christ in an accessible, in a clear way, um, in in new contexts, new cultures. Um, They're able to listen and understand the language and thought forms of people and communicate the gospel in ways that people understand. So in our postmodern culture, an evangelist speaks postmodernese, in a sense, and is able to communicate the gospel in ways that someone who's shaped by this postmodern culture can say, I get it. And then there are pastors and teachers. There's some debate about whether those are actually one or two roles, functions in the church. Could it be a pastor-teacher or a pastor- and a teacher. I think Paul's leaning towards the latter, where it's two different functions. They're, they operate with the same uh, word of God, but they exercise that function in different ways. So a pastor is, is a shepherd. Now when you hear that word, you probably have some romanticized notions of a shepherd. Um, and I want to disabuse you of some of those. Um, because here's, here's the truth about a shepherd, a shepherd was actually in business. A shepherd was a manager of a business because the sheep were the shepherds or someone else's livelihood. And and so they needed to, to care for that whole flock for the sake of another. So shepherding would involve leadership and management, leading that flock to good places, to food. They would manage things. A shepherd guides the sheep. Yes, a shepherd serves as a vet of source, making sure that there's healing, uh, the shepherd would also guard and protect. The shepherd would also arrange for the sheep to be sheared, and then for the wolf and that shearing to be sold. So you get a sense for a larger leadership management piece that's operative in a shepherd in this pastor gifting. And then the teacher. The teacher's job is one to keep the body of Christ in the truth of the gospel. The teacher spends time in the words of the apostles and the prophets and helps members of the body understand what, what does this mean for our lives helps people to be better discerners of God's will, guiding them towards wisdom, helping the community remain faithful. Now, we have these support gifts in elders, in our pastoral staff, in other gifts here in the church. But what I want to underscore here is, is and to take note of the way that these support gifts function. Because in the history of the church, Um, there's been an unfortunate over-focus on these functions, leading the church to sometimes become pastor-centered or pastor-dependent. And I can see how that happened because there's a pivotal nature to these giftings here that Paul mentions. But a a pastor-centered church, a pastor-dependent church is not the vision of the church that Paul has in mind here. The vision here is... That the ministry, or you could call it the priesthood, of all believers, that is what the church is about. And we've been trying to underscore that by saying every one of us is gifted by the Holy Spirit in unique, particular ways. And so that means there is no one in the church who is not meant to be at play, who is not meant to fully participate in the good work that God is doing here. All of us. Gifts functioning together. But for what? Why has Jesus given these gifts and and arranged this uh, arrangement, this relationship? Jesus has given the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for a very specific purpose. Why? To equip God's people so that they might use their gifts in ministry, so that they might do the work of ministry and that they might build up the body of Christ. Critical function here. Don't look to the ministers to do the work of ministry. All of us are ministers. Pastoral staff's role is to support, to equip, so that all of us are released in the church and in the world to pursue the ministry that God has given us as individuals and as a collective body. So prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers are sort of like coaches that equip people in the Christ community to use their gifts so that all of us are using our gifts together and the whole community is growing and flourishing and maturing in the faith of Jesus Christ because that's where it all is aimed at. Verse 13 talks about that. Paul says, Until we reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, All of these gifts that God gives to us are are moving towards that direction, to us having the faith of Jesus Christ. Interestingly, not faith in Jesus Christ, but for us to have the faith of Jesus, the full measure of the faith of Jesus, so that we become complete, mature, and, and this is staggering, that we have the fullness of Jesus Christ among us. That's a staggering thing. This is what God is after. That together we would represent the fullness of Christ in this world. Which is why Jesus gives gifts to us. And it is as we each exercise those gifts on behalf of one another that we slowly grow into that maturity. All the ministry that goes on in the church, all the ministry that goes on in Knox is aimed at that. Preparing God's works God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ grows up, so that we become mature. Everything in the church is about that spiritual maturity. Now, the assumption behind that is, is, well, it can be insulting. It is that we are immature. It is that we are spiritual babies. Paul talks about that, how we all are infants. And it's interesting how Paul identifies himself as a spiritual infant as well. And if Paul's an infant, I'm three hours old (laughs) in this Christian faith. But Paul is saying we need to be involved in the body, using our gifts, because we're all infants, and, and we're all in this process together of growing, of maturing. We grow into maturity, not by us individually working on ourselves, but as we function together as a community of faith, maturity comes to expression as a body, as a community. It's only together as a community that we come to full spiritual maturity. That's why pretty soon as part of this message, you're going to hear from, about home churches. You're going to hear from Ashley and Nick um, about how God has used the body in their life in a beautiful way and, and how home churches Are a critical function, a hothouse of spiritual maturity. It's the place where we get up close, relational, and we, we can exercise our gifts in the context of a small community. And we do that because everyone in the church is a minister. We are all gifted in unique ways, graced with particular gifts for particular ministries. That's you, that's how this thing works in the church. As each one does their part, the body will not grow as Jesus wants it to grow unless you and I are offering our gifts to the larger body. You will not grow unless I begin to exercise my gifts, unless I'm continuing to do that. I am not going to grow unless you put into play your gifts. Our maturity as a church depends in part on everyone exercising their gifts. And if you don't, we're missing out somehow. Recently, someone sent me a note of encouragement. They had the gift of encouragement, and with a few select words, they strengthened my heart. It was a beautiful thing. The generosity of a few people in our church who have this gift of giving can expand the whole scope of our church's ministry in some profound ways, allowing us to do things that we may not be able to do. Otherwise, a person with the gift of mercy injects compassion and grace into the life of the church so that although we're institutional, we don't feel like it. We're a human organization. We're about the grace and the compassion of Jesus. When we allow people with the gift of leadership, to the room to lead, look out, we'll be amazed at what God does with our church. This is how it's meant to function. Jesus gifting us in the church, equipping all of us for ministry in the church and in the world, all of us doing our part. Now, two weeks ago, we did a a gift inventory. I hope you had the opportunity to do that. I hope you've been thinking about some of the gifts that it's highlighted. If you haven't had the chance, talk to me. I can send you that inventory. Now, an inventory, you know, it's a simple way to, to look at gifts, maybe not the best. I think probably the best way is for you to just step out And start experimenting, serving, roll up your sleeves, jump in. And as you start serving, gifts are going to be affirmed, they're going to be recognized. You're going to get a sense for, is this a fit or is this mm, not me at all? Um, And as part of the discovery process, you can just ask yourself some important questions. You know, what do you care about most in life? That's going to be indicative to, to how God has gifted you. What, what causes the deepest sense of gratitude in your life? That's a sure sign of what the Holy Spirit is up to. You know, one of the things that brings me a deep, profound gratitude is when, when the light bulb goes on for people regarding the gospel, particularly non-Christians. That's just like gas in my tank. When it, the penny drops and it's like, oh, grace, I get it. And, and the, they, they, they experience something of, of the new life in Christ. For others, they, they love to serve. Don't, don't, don't look at me. Um, you know, just let me serve behind the scenes. That, that, that's what I love to do. I know someone who just loves to prepare a meal and to see and watch people enjoy a meal. And, and, and you know, we'll, we'll thank them for that, but they just say, I, I love this. I just love doing this. What do you enjoy doing? Parker Palmer writes that burnout comes not from doing too much, but from trying to give out what we don't have. So let's figure out what gifts God has graced us with. You are gifted, so discover those gifts, and primarily by exploring and experimenting in service. And because as you learn to serve, you are growing and maturing. Here's the thing. Some of the things about Jesus Christ you'll never learn without serving, without putting yourself in that place posture of Jesus, that servant posture, in offering your lives for the sake of others. So serve, friends. Use those gifts. The ascended Lord Jesus has gifted you, his people, so that we can exercise these gifts, so that all of us might be built up and grow and mature, knowing, trusting God. And so on the authority of the apostles and the prophets... In the name of the risen and the ascended Lord Jesus, I need to tell you something. I declare to you, individually, you, Knox Church as a whole, you are a minister of Jesus Christ. You are a holy priest. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are an agent of God's reconciling power in the world. You are part of God's renewal of all things. So welcome to the Church of Christ. You're gifted for this. Let's do this together, friends. We're going to hear a bit about how that happens now. I want to invite Ashley Campbell and Nick Rayburn to come on up. They're going to tell us about home church, but they're also going to tell us a pretty beautiful story first.
2: Good morning, church. It's always so wonderful to come up here and get to share with you and as um sorry my note um (laughs) as phil was just preaching about gifts the story that we have to share with you this morning before i go into the home church launch and information um is a story that starts with wrestling with god's timing and then um comes a moment of deep sadness and finally um ends with a coming together of God's people, people from this community, acting as a community to us, our family, and resulting in a powerful, prayerful miracle. And we are thrilled to get to share the story of a miracle with you today. Um, And I'm just going to let Nick start with the beginning of the story.
3: So um, we found out that we were pregnant on the day that Ashley was announced as the home church pastor at Knox. Um, In between the morning and the evening service, uh, she took a pregnancy test, and we were completely shocked by the positive result. Um, We knew it was a blessing, but we struggled with feeling unprepared uh, for God's blessing, and even fearful of it. Um, As we wrestled to understand the timing of this blessing of a third child, God spoke to us through a worship song we only heard for the first time last month. I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) Your ways are higher, your thoughts are wilder. It makes no sense, but this is grace, and I know you're with me in this place. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher and wilder. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He is not a tame lion. We slowly came to terms with what God was doing through the timing of this pregnancy. Not because we fully understood, but precisely because we did not. From this revelation, and now you get to find out, came the name we chose for the baby, Years ago, we had put Wilder on our list of names we like, and suddenly we knew why. This would be our wilder baby. Not because we're wishing rebellion or chaos for the child, (laughs) but because this child reminds us that wildness, the mystery, the danger, the untamable, is a part of God's character, part of our good God's character. Mm -hmm. We decided that the baby would be wilder, whether a boy or a girl, just a few days before the miscarriage.
2: Two weeks ago, we were supposed to launch Home Churches, and the Friday before that Sunday, uh, all the Home Church leadership was gathering to prepare to serve you, gathering to learn about leadership and to press into the vision of community building. And that morning, I came to work here at the church so excited for everything that was coming together that night, and for these many people in our community who were rising up as leaders and living out that gift. Um, While I was working, I, I felt something happening. I ran to the bathroom, and I realized that I was miscarrying. This is a path that we have walked before. As I know, in a room full of families and women, it is a path others have walked before. I was distraught. I was here in this building, and the timing felt almost cruel. I ran to call my midwife and to tell my family and call my husband, and um, my older sister Allie, who's here at this church with us, realized I was alone in my office and called um, the front office to find someone to come be with me. And she encountered Peter on the phone, Peter DeConing, who many of you know, who Used his compassion and pastoral care to come up to a woman who was in the midst of deep grief and to pray over me and just be with me in the midst of that. I'm so grateful to him for being brave in that way and pastoring in that way. Soon um, I spoke with my midwife and shared with her what was happening and just told her, I I know what's happening. I understand the amount of blood and what my body is doing. And she agreed that all the symptoms sounded like a miscarriage and that the best thing to do was go home and wait for the completion of this sad thing. Nick came to get me. And when he got here, all we could say to each other was, we don't understand. We got home. And something very strange began to happen. The bleeding slowed and around seven o'clock in the evening it stopped altogether and all my symptoms of a miscarriage including contractions stopped. What's important to understand in all of this is some very supernatural timing that was happening that I only understand and we only understand in looking back. We I shared what was happening with my family and um, and my colleagues here at Knox my friends here and I asked them to share to continue the home church leadership training that night I asked them will you do this for me I'm I'm devastated that I won't be there I have to come take care of myself and my family now but will you continue the work and they agreed and they started praying and I started sharing with different friends around the world and family members around the world and they began praying. And around 6 30 p.m. that night the home church leaders gathered with um, some of our staff and in this place I want to honor Michelle DeConing who led out in a time of, of worship and in prayer and led all those home church leaders gathered in community to pray over us and to mourn with us and and be hopeful for us in ways that we couldn't be and to declare God's sovereignty over what was happening in the midst of how terrible it felt. And that's when the bleeding stopped and that's when all of my symptoms were gone. I was shocked. I didn't understand what was happening. I was almost angry because I didn't understand. I, we had lived through the tragedy before and, and had no expectations of anything but having to walk through that morning and um, we called my midwife again, and we explained it all to her, and she said, I, I don't really know what's going on. This was not something she could explain, but she said, I, we agreed that we should just wait and see if maybe my body was just holding on to the pregnancy. My family urged me <laughs> in the following <laughs> days to go and get an ultrasound, but we, we thought we were living in the past. We were living in what had happened, and other people were hopeful for us. As each day passed throughout the weekend of nothing happening, our families became hopeful. Our friends became hopeful. They were praying and praying and praying. And finally, on Monday, I went for an ultrasound, and as I lay on that table, I was weeping. I thought, this is horrible. Why have I come to confirm something so sad? And my older sister, Ali was with me, and she saw the baby alive and well, and was trying to signal me. <laughs> and then the ultrasound tech saw me crying and said, everything's OK. And at that moment, my heart burst open, and I said, God has done a miracle. Something incredible has happened. My heart, I was so overwhelmed, all I could do was cry. And I thought immediately of all these praying people and the moment that it stopped. And let me say this, that were it just a misdiagnosis, we would be celebrating. We would be celebrating if we had just been wrong about what was happening. But the reality is that having lived through it before... And the bafflement on the part of my medical team who, when the ultrasound results came through and they said, nothing is wrong. We don't know what happened. God worked a miracle on our behalf and he invited our community to partner in prayer with him to bring about this miracle. What a beautiful, exciting thing has happened amongst us. And we feel a burden, a good burden of what a gift we are carrying now, that we were gifted this, this miracle. It's also heavy on my heart to say the following. This miracle is not some kind of proof of God's goodness. When we mourned and when we lost a child, we declared God's goodness. And in this supernatural, miraculous, exciting evidence of who he is, we declare his goodness. God is wild and mysterious. And we hope that the story encourages you like it has us um, to press into that. And we hope it encourages you like it did us that we were so ministered to by the home church leadership team that they took on our sadness that evening and prayed for us and spent time interceding for us and throughout the days that followed emailed us and checked in with us. And then when we sent them the celebratory news, celebrated with us and hugged us and cheered and said, thank you, God, with us. And we experienced incredible community around that group of people. And even though I questioned the timing a lot and still (laughs) am asking God to reveal or to give me peace about not understanding everything, one thing that's really heavy on my heart is These home church leaders who you're going to meet soon have already led out in an incredible way for me, who's technically their leader, and yet I'm the one who's been ministered to so intimately by them. That's who is going to be leading you as you join home churches. That's what we're inviting you into. A community who, in the middle of a horrible thing happening, can share and can intercede for each other and can hope for miracles and can carry the heavy burdens when that's what we're walking through. Um, My brother-in-law, John, wrote us a note after hearing the good news that I think really gives a good conclusion to this story and it's from Ephesians it's from what we've been studying and it's Ephesians three twenty to 21 and it's an exhortation now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen